0: Pete was sick of it. Day after day, for ten whole days, Pete and the gang had huddled together from sunup till sundown. Day after day, churning over the same things. Wait, he'd said. Stay in Jerusalem, he'd said. Wait for the gift, he'd said. Day after day, the same questions. What was the gift? What would it look like? What would it feel like? What if we'd missed it? What if it had come and we'd not recognised it? How long would they have to wait? Yep, Pete was sick of it sick of the way they'd look to him for answers, as if he knew. All this waiting was driving him nuts. He'd almost decided that tomorrow, when the Feast of Pentecost was done, he'd grab his things and hitch a rider back to Galilee. He'd grab a boat and go out on the lake. He'd go fishing. Yep, yep. A few days' fishing would get rid of his heebie-jeebies. Then he'd come back down to Jerusalem. Surely, since they've been waiting this long, a few days more wouldn't matter. Perhaps the gift could come to Galilee and not just Jerusalem. Get away from the gang. Get away from the questions. Get away from the waiting. But then? Well, we pretty much know what happens next. But before we get into the reading, let's pray. Father, as we open your scriptures on this familiar passage, we ask that your Holy Spirit will illuminate it, will teach us some new treasure about you and our relationship with you. We ask your blessing on this message through Jesus the Saviour. Amen. As we begin this new year, we're looking at another beginning, the beginning of the beginning of the church. Today our theme is No Longer Orphans. Our reading isn't the familiar recount of the coming of the Holy Spirit on the disciples, but we'll dip back into that as well as the less familiar verses that follow. Until, of course, we get to the bit where 3,000 were added to the church that day. Now, every time I went into the text, I felt I needed to deal with it under three sections. Firstly, unpack the text. Then, what do we learn about God? And finally what can we learn about ourselves so let's begin with unpacking the text now as a former english teacher i probably should warn you that it would usually take me about 8 to 10 weeks to unpack any text so i hope you've brought your lunch for each text the class would be given to would be asked to consider the following title genre Author, author's purpose, audience, setting, structure, plot, characters, language features, meaning and message. And it's important that we consider some of these things to give context to our text today. We know the passage comes from a book entitled The Acts of the Apostles, written in academic Greek as a sequel to his gospel by the Dr known as Luke. As far as we know, Luke was not an eyewitness to Jesus during his ministry. But we do know that he was able to gather much of his material from some who were. And that, towards the end of the book, we notice he actually becomes part of the story. When his writing changes from third person, the pronoun they to first person, the pronoun we. As a man of science and method, he clearly states that after careful investigation of everything from the beginning, he set out to write an orderly account so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. What does that mean? It means we are dealing with an historically accurate, cohesive account of events. We also know to whom it was written. Luke clearly states his audience is Theophilus. Interestingly, Theophilus from the Greek means Theo or God and philus meaning friend, so friend of God. Whether it was written to one specific person or to many including us as friends of God, remains under debate. I like to think it's to us. The setting for today's account is in Jerusalem, after the crucifixion, resurrection and ascension of Christ. We know too that it occurs on a significant day of celebration for Jews. It was the Feast of Pentecost, when Jews from all over the world came to gather in Jerusalem to celebrate the beginning of the harvest. We know they came from everywhere because of those wonderful verses that no one likes to score as a Bible reading. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, etc., etc. Phil just labels them as the mites and the Vegemites. We also know from later in the reading that it is a corrupt or crooked generation. Corrupt because of the great show they make of following the laws of God, but without the inward heart tuned towards God. It was a surface faith, one of all show and no substance. When I look at the structure of the text... I see Luke has framed his message with two questions. In verse 12, he asks, what does this mean? And in verse 37, brothers, what shall we do? He begins the account with the coming of the Holy Spirit onto the disciples, or apostles as they're now called, announced through the noise of a tremendous wind and followed by tongues of flame settling over each of the believers. Made bold through the power of the Spirit, these disciples go out and speak in languages of all the people drawn to them because of the noise. The audience is bewildered and perplexed and asks the question, what does this mean? Peter grabs the opportunity and gets up and speaks to the crowd, answering their question. Now, if I was teaching this as a text, at this point I would branch off to do a character study of Peter. We know a lot about Peter. In fact, our Bible study group did a brainstorm on him one day and easily filled two sides of the whiteboard about his actions and character. We often think of Peter as the one who perpetually put his foot in his mouth, who spoke before he put his brain into gear. And at times this may have been true, but there is much more to him than that. Probably, however, at this point, the most important thing to remember is how when Jesus was standing trial, Peter was accused of being one of them and vehemently denied it three times then for us to recall that jesus after his resurrection asked peter if he loved him three times and three times told peter to feed my sheep so what was peter's message how did he answer the question and what does this mean peter says that what has occurred This extraordinary ability to speak in other languages is the fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy in the book of Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all people. He accuses the crowd of killing Jesus. You put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But states God has raised him and that they, the disciples, witnessed it. He proclaims Jesus is the Christ the long-awaited Messiah, and that he is exalted by God. Peter then states that, as promised, Christ has been given the Holy Spirit to pour out on all who believe. John had said, recorded in John 14, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. This was really radical. In the past, God gave his spirit only to a few selected people, mostly his prophets. Would the crowd have understood the huge shift in God's dealing with his people? Would they get the idea that now the power of the spirit of God was available to all who believed? They were no longer alone no longer orphans. Peter went on to again accuse Israel of crucifying Jesus, the one whom God had made both Lord and Christ. As a result, Peter's audience was filled with guilt. They were cut to the heart and asked the second question, Brother, what shall we do? And Peter clearly sets it out, just three steps, Repent of your sins, turn again to God. Be baptised for the forgiveness of sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For whom was this gift available? Peter states, for you, your children, and for all who are far off. I wonder if all who are far off refers only to those who are separated in distance and time or if it also might mean those separated from God through a broken relationship with him, they too can turn to God and receive his gift. Peter then pleads and argues to convince his audience to save themselves, with the result that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. So from this reading, what can we learn about God? In this text, we can learn a lot. In fact, every time I thought about it, I could add things to the list. So today I'll present just some of God's characteristics that are shown. Firstly, God is powerful. In the opening verses of chapter 2, we read, He sent a noise like a great wind and tongues of fire. God is powerfully in control of nature. He can command a fire that does not burn up. He can command the wind and the waves. He can command the sun. God is purposeful. In order to further his mission, he equips his believers with power to carry out the task. And what is the task? to proclaim and glorify Jesus the one who God exalted above all. He drew thousands from all over the known world to present to be present at this moment so that they could take that message back to their homelands. God is a planner. We read in verse 16 that the prophet Joel had foretold of the coming of the spirit In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. God had planned this gift to his people centuries before it happened. God is a promise keeper. God in Jesus promised that he would send a counsellor so that, according to John 14 18, I will not leave you as orphans. God always has and always will keep his promises. God is promiscuous. Now, we often use the word promiscuous to describe someone who is sexually casual, but in this instance, it means God is indiscriminate in who he draws for his purposes. I just needed a P word. We see God has in the past used flawed people think of the liar abraham the deceiver jacob the murderer moses and the adulterer king david these are the greats of the old testament and yet they were all flawed so when god spent sent his holy spirit to equip his people for his mission that spirit came onto a bunch of flawed people. And according to Peter's message, the promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The gift was for people who were far away in place and time and state of belief, but God wanted them on his team. And finally, A G word. God is generous. He wants salvation for everyone. He will generously give his spirit to all who believe. So what does this reading mean for me? Be prepared. When surrendering your life to Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit can turn your life upside down. Just look at what happened to the disciples. Can that still happen? Sure can. Just talk to some of the people in this congregation. God is a God of grace. For all our faults and failings, God is able to graciously use anyone who is open to Him. Peter experienced that. How do you see yourself? Do you see only your failings? The times when you stuffed up? Look again through God's eyes. How might he see through you? A person of immense value. A person of enormous potential. A person he sent his son to die for. A person open to his will and empowered with his spirit to carry on his mission wherever he sends. God is faithful. Scripture is bursting with promises given by God to his people. What promises has he fulfilled in you? What promises are yet to be fulfilled? Do you ask him the plans he has for you? Jeremiah 29.11 for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Just ask him. God does not condone your sin. He calls all to repent, believe and receive. I was once told there were two types of sin. The little less sin and the biggest sin. Little less sins like lying, cheating... Stealing, murder, they're the symptoms of the biggest sin. The biggest sin, the broken relationship with God. How can I repair that relationship? Peter told us, repent, believe, receive. Wholeheartedly commit to trusting God with all of your life. What is God calling me to do? God calls us to be his witness. He has empowered us with his Holy Spirit, whose job it is to shine the spotlight on Jesus. We are to glorify Jesus and be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God's mission has never changed. Are we all called to preach like Peter? No, we're not. God has gifted each of us differently. Together we are called to be his church, sharing his gifts to build the body of believers. Romans 12 says, Some are gifted with prophecy, some with serving, some teaching, others encouraging, some contribute to the needs of others, while others receive the gift of leadership, and some are called to show mercy. What does this mean? We need to pray to seek God's guidance for the gifts he has given you. Together as a church, we are called to his mission. Can you make a difference? Yes, you can. A few weeks ago, I attended the funeral of Elva Hall. Elva was 92 when she died. Some of you may have known her. She was a faithful member of the Cowndilla Church of Christ. I hadn't seen Elva for decades, but would hear of her through my mum. Phil would visit her in the Regis nursing home. Why am I telling you this? Because Elva was my Sunday school teacher. She shared the gospel with me and hundreds of local kids. She shared the gospel through religious instructions in schools back in the day. Did Elva make a difference? Yes, she did. Did she know how much difference in the lives of others she'd made? No, I don't think so. Would it matter to her? No. Elva was faithful to her calling. She glorified God and was his witness in Jerusalem, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, even Candila. It's quite symbolic that the Holy Spirit was given on the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of the Harvest. God empowered his believers to bring in his harvest. What are you empowered to do? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have gifted each of us with your Holy Spirit. We ask that you will use us, that you will show us where you want us to be, what you want us to do, how you want us to witness. Father, just fill us anew. Let your spirit rest on us so that we can carry your mission to our broken and hurting world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.